Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor J.P. Troyo here. So glad that you're joining us today on our podcast. You're about to hear a message today from our weekend encounter. Uh, I pray that this message uh, encourages you, inspires you, and pushes you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to stay on track with what's going on at the church, we'd love for you to download our app, Oasis Church Chicago, or visit us on our website, www.oasischurchchicago.com. I'm praying for you, we're believing for you, and we trust that God's gonna continue to do great things in your life. God bless you. Now here's the message today. Before I even uh, get into any pleasantries and honoring, I just, can we just tell like Jordan and Alex and, and Slack, like they just do an awesome job. Like they're just, they're just really good. They're just, uh, worship was awesome. Sorry, Matthew, it's your biblical name. Sorry. Um, but uh, I, I came in on, uh, my brother and I came in on Friday and we caught uh, the builder's dinner. And I, I'm sure several of you were at, many of you, and, um, and this is obviously my first trip to, to Oasis, and JP and I have connected with some of the other team before in Florida, but this is my first time here. And, uh, and even at the Builder's Dinner on Friday night, like as soon as I stepped in, I told some of the team before uh, we, we gathered this morning, like I don't want to cry. I don't want me crying to be the first thing I do in front of all of you. Um, but like, like the Spirit of God is on Oasis Church. And when I was in the room on Friday night and I saw the story of how things were built and, and, and Pastor JP and Rachel shared and some other team, Andrew and some others shared like, um, this is like, this is God breathed. And you got to understand when you're a part of something like this, um, you signed up for like, like our Bible is filled with stories of individuals who raised hands and said, yes, God, I'll be a part. And, and what they ended up being a part of was so nation altering, earth shaking, kingdom building, like at, at the beginning stages, they had no idea what they were saying yes to. And I believe in my spirit when I was even there on Friday night and even in the room this morning with the worship and everything, like what you're a part of, like you're here at the right place at the right time around the right people. Like this is a good, this is a good place to be um, because what God's doing here is very unique. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a scripture, uh, um, where the Lord says, do not despise the days of small beginnings, but the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And, and, and we, a lot of times we like to focus on the beginning part of that when it says don't despise small beginnings. And we're all like, oh, that's a great encouragement. We're not gonna despise. But the second half is kind of better than the first half when it says the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And so what you wanna understand right now is God is not in love with some future version of Oasis Church Chicago. God rejoices to see the beginning days. He rejoices in what's happening right now. Like, it's not like, man, we're gonna get a new venue and it's gonna be bigger and better and we can accommodate more people or whatever. And then God's really gonna be happy with it. He's rejoicing right now as we're gathered together in the early days and it's unique and it's special. And so, so if you're here, you're part of something really unique and, and sometimes you don't know it. So it takes like an outsider coming in to remind you that this is special. This is really, really special. And, um, and so uh, before uh, I even jump in, I just wanted to give uh, Pastor JP and Rachel um, obviously some honor. I, I understand that without invitation, I have no business speaking into something that I did not help build. And so I'm grateful for your invitation. It humbles me um, to be able to share this morning. But as I was getting ready this morning, and, and my brother could tell you, I was like turning on some worship music, and, um, and I'm getting ready, and, uh, and the Lord just kind of dropped something in my spirit um, about you guys and about you as church planters. Um, church planters are a unique breed. And, um, 
it takes a lot. Many of you serve, and it takes a lot of grit. It takes a lot of work to get things started off the ground. But the Lord reminded me, you know, there's a story in, in um, Genesis chapter 6 of a man named Noah. And when Noah's building this boat, God comes to him, and God calls him, sets him apart from everyone else. And God's like, I want you to build an ark. A lot of people think Noah built an ark because rain was coming. Noah did not build an ark because rain was coming. Noah built an ark because God told him to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, they didn't decide to build a church because maybe one day it's going to be a thousand people. It's going to be really, really cool or whatever. They built the church because God told them to, right? And, and, and but, but Noah builds this boat for a hundred years. He builds a boat. Took him a hundred years. And for a hundred years, he's mocked. He's ridiculed. He's the crazy guy in town. He's getting laughed at. He's getting made fun of. But Noah built a boat because he could see something that no one else could see. He could, with, through eyes of faith, Noah could see something that was coming on the horizon that no one else could see. And the reason I, I feel like God just dropped that into my spirit, and I'm so grateful for you all, is because here in this city, through eyes of faith, you've had the ability to see what not just anyone else could see. And, and, and it's caused you to, to build something, and sometimes building something lasts a while. Noah is proof of this. But when the rains come down and the floods come up, Noah could stand inside of something that he knew was a saving grace for that generation. And I believe what God's called you to is unique. And, and I just believe like the spirit of the Lord is on you too. And I just thank God for your vision. I don't just thank God that, that you had the vision to see it. I thank God that you were obedient to say yes to it. Knowing, no, no, some of us know, perhaps some of your family that are here know that many of us will never ever know the true sacrifice, financial, time, and everything that it took to get this life-giving church off of the ground to where it is today. Um, but I just wanted to say that the Lord is with you. He's on you. His spirit rests in you. And where he is, it will not falter. It will not fail. All other ground is sinking sand. But when the Lord calls you to build something, you can be sure that it is the surest, strongest foundation that there will ever be. And so I just wanted to honor you guys. I just wanted to thank you guys. Can we put our hands together? Can we celebrate them? Can we thank God for them and their spirit and their obedience? Because many of us can see it now, but, but, but they saw it first. And that's what's unique, and that's why we honor them, because through eyes of faith they saw what's coming on the horizon, and so they're building appropriately for what's to come. So, so I just want to say I love you guys. And, and Bethany, she, she wishes she could be here, obviously, um, but we'll connect at another time, but I'm grateful for you. And so um, my family, I don't know, I think they might have a picture of my family uh, that'll come up. My, my wife, Bethany, and, uh, and my son, Jude, uh, there they are right there. Uh, that was Father's Day. So I, this past summer, that was on uh, Father's Day. My son, Jude, he's five years old. Um, he's awesome. Like we're talking like potential first round draft pick. And so he's like a big deal. And so, um, but then later, uh, that was Sunday morning when we were at our church and, and we're going on Father's Day. And then later that day, I got the best Father's Day present um, that I could ever get uh, when that was my Father's Day present, when she let me know that we're having number two. And so, uh, so the team's growing, you know what I mean? We're going to get a basketball team going. So, um, but anyways, I'm grateful to be here. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and jump into the word. Um, we're going to get to Genesis chapter 15 in just a second. And uh, what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about this, uh, this topic, this word called covenant. Someone say covenant. Covenant. Unfortunately, it's a word that we don't, um, 
we don't use much in society anymore. Like you don't really hear the word covenant uh, getting tossed around, um, but, it, but it's an important word. It really is, it's, it's a shame because it's a significant word. It's a powerful word. It's actually a God-given word. Uh, the word covenant. What you need to understand is a covenant is not a contract. We live in a society today where we're used to contracts. The thing about contracts is contracts are based on mutual distrust. I don't trust you, you don't trust me, that we're gonna follow through with what we say we're gonna do, so let's create a contract. It's gonna make us. We don't trust one another. A, a covenant is not a contract. Covenant's much deeper than that. In fact, when I say the word covenant, I'm afraid, I'm afraid many people in our generation don't even know what I mean when I say covenant, I was in, um, a few years ago, I was in Arkansas, I was speaking at this youth conference in between sessions, um, I walked outside, and it was right when, there was like all these middle school boys that were hanging out, it was right when those like, I don't even know what they're really called, but like those little boards where you can like lean forward and go backward, and like they like, you know, they move, and the two wheels, I don't even know what they're called, but it, it, all the little middle school boys had them, and they're all playing on them, and I walked up to them, and I looked at them, I was like, dude, this is really cool, this is like almost like one of those back to the future boards, that's what I said to him. It's almost like one of those back to the future boards. And the little middle school boy looks at me and he says, what's a back to the future board? <laughs> now think about this. Here I am. I'm trying to explain a board that's in a movie. He doesn't even understand the movie reference. In, in our world today, we try to explain things like marriage. We try to explain things like loyalty to Jesus. But all the while, people don't even understand the word covenant. You're never going to understand marriage if you don't understand covenant. You're never going to understand a genuine de devoutness and loyalty to Jesus Christ if you don't understand covenant. It's a foundational principle, and so we're going to talk about it today. So Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the NLT version. It says this, Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and he said to him, look up into the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, to give you this land as your possession. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that it will actually, I'll actually possess it? And the Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these things, and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle, and he laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. And the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. Well, they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. He's talking about Egypt. That will eventually happen. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. And after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. The sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. And after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass through the halves of all the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant. Someone say covenant. covenant. 
the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. We're going to talk today about this covenant that God made with Abram. Later, and for those of us who know our Bible, later his name is changed to Abraham. He has a wife named Sarai. Later her name becomes Sarah, but that hasn't yet happened, and the Lord makes this covenant with Abram. And let me also say this, that today's message, this is a message for uh, those of you who have lowered your expectation of what God might do in your circumstance and situation. And so uh, if you're taking some notes, if if this is a great note-taking church, I'm sure it is, um, and you want to write some things down, I've just entitled this message sometime later. Sometime later. So Father, Lord, we lean into your word today. God, I thank you for the promise in your word that the grass withers and the flower fades, but it's your word that remains forever. God, the Bible's not like any other book on our shelves at home. It's a living, it's inspired, it's, uh, it's, it's straight from heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that we lean into your word today. I pray that you would lift the head of the discouraged. You would heal the bodies of the sick. You would restore and mend the brokenhearted. God, let us leave better than we even came. God, we love you and we honor you and we thank you for a bear's win today. In Jesus' name, And everyone said amen. Amen. All right. I come from uh, Jacksonville, so we have the Jaguars, so any chance I get to support a team that actually gets W's, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. So, um, but uh, hey, in, in order for us to fully understand and grasp all that is going on right here in Genesis chapter 15 that we just read as God strikes up this covenant with Abram, um, I really need to give you some background to the story when you're studying scripture. For those of you who like to read your Bibles, it's always great that you have the right context before you just jump into scriptures. Like we've all seen people take scripture out of context. We don't want to do that. We want to have the right context when we approach it. And so to give you a little bit of background, you really need to be caught up on Abram and his wife Sarai. Where they're at right now, um, they have a dream in their heart to have children, but they find themselves with the inability to conceive. They're not able to have any kids right now. Unfortunately, they can't conceive. And I thought about this. Have you ever had moments in your life where you're like really, really wanting something? And as you wait on it to happen, sometimes you feel like you're waiting forever on that thing that you're really asking God for. And as you wait, it seems to be happening for like everyone else around you. I don't know if you ever felt like that. Like, so I would imagine they're like that. It's like, here they are. They want to have a baby, but like every other girl Sarah knows is getting pregnant. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and she's finding it hard to really, and like, I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. You know what I mean? Like, but inside they're really struggling with the fact that they can't have kids. Like, like maybe you're wondering like, like when am I ever going to get an opportunity, a job, the promotion? Like you've been waiting on it for years and years. And every time you talk to one of your friends, they're like, oh, I'm the new CEO of my company. <laughs> this is amazing. Like I'm the, I'm the president now. You're like, what in the world? What's going on, God? Like, where, where are you? And what's happening with me? Do you, like, have you forgotten me? <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Like, like where in the world is God? And so they find themselves waiting right here. And all these couples are having kids. I'm sure they're a little devastated, but then God speaks to them. He actually challenges them in Genesis chapter 12. We don't have time to read all of Genesis uh, 12 today, but he challenges them to take a massive step. And in Genesis 12 verse 2, God actually said to Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In another uh, translation, he actually says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And uh, right here, I would imagine when God says that to them, they're probably thinking to themselves, man, that's it. Like, 
Like, that's it. God said it. We've been waiting on a baby. God said, great nations. Baby, it's going to happen. God's going to give us a son. This is it. Can't wait. Like, they're so excited. Like, they immediately start picking out baby names, right? They're like, if it's a girl, we're going to call her this. If it's a boy, we're going to call it this. Like, they go straight to Pinterest to find, like, whatever motif they want for the nursery. If it's a girl, we're going to do, like, a Dora the Explorer thing. You know, if it's a boy, I don't know, like a Spider-Man. Like, they're so excited. They're planning all of this stuff. They can't wait, right? They, they can't wait to have this baby and they're really excited now like I said before this is a message for those of you that have lowered your expectation of what God might do okay so in Genesis 12 God calls Abram and he makes him a promise of great nations but now we jump forward to Genesis 15 that we just read together and I want you to look at verse 1 if they want to throw it back up on the screen look at verse 1 Genesis 15 verse 1 and I want us all to read the first three words out loud together okay just the first three words on the count of three ready one two three it's awesome it's amazing now just be just because I want it to sink in the first three words one more time on the count of three one two three I'm convinced that one of the most frustrating verses to actually have to live out in your own life can be found in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, in the first three words. Some time later. Because like, when is sometime later? Like, like when is that? When, when it, how long is sometime later? Like in Genesis 12, Abram gets a promise of great nations, father of many nations. But now here we are in Genesis 15, and it's sometime later, and he's still waiting. Now, we don't know exactly how long has passed between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Some scholars argue, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less. But what we do know is it has at least been a decade between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. So for 10 years, God made a promise, and for 10 years still, they're still waiting on the promise to be delivered some time later. I would, I would imagine some of us have felt this before. Like, have you ever felt stuck in some time later? You ever felt like God shared something with you, you got really excited about it, but then like you're still stuck in some time later? Truthfully, I think a lot of us have our own version of this story. You know, like maybe like, God, I know you're going to help me pay off this debt. Like, God, like, by the end of the year, you're going to help me pay off this debt, Lord. It's going to happen. I really believe you can do this with me. But then, like, the year end comes. You actually have more money on the credit card than you did when you first paid, you know, prayed the prayer. You're like, what in the world's happening? You know? Like, God, God, I know you're going to help my dad get saved. Lord, I believe it. Oh, I think, like, God, I think you gave me confirmation in my heart that my dad is going to be saved very, very soon. And I'm so excited about this. But then, like, months and months passed, and now your dad just seems to be meaner than he ever has been. Like, seemingly so far away from any relationship with Jesus. And you just feel a little stuck in some time later. Come on, can we get real? I see it's like a young crowd. Lord, by Christmas, I'm at least going to be dating the person that I can marry. Like, I'm a, like at least going to go on a couple dates with them. You know what I mean? We're going to be, we're going to have a little bit of a relationship. But then like Christmas comes and like your Instagram likes are down. You're not getting a lot of DMs on Facebook anymore. Like you keep ordering food from P.F. Chang's. And every time they ask you, is this for one or two people? You keep having to say one. And like, you're like, God, what's going on and you feel stuck in some time later we've all felt stuck in some time later so I can imagine what Abram and Sarai are feeling God where are you did I hear you right was that not you have you forgotten about me because from Abram's point of view 10 years later nothing seems to be happening nothing's happening 
And so he responds to God after 10 years in Genesis 15, verse 3, and he says, hey, um, you've still given me no descendants. Remember like 10 years ago when you and I had that conversation? Yeah, I still have none. So my servant's going to be my heir. Like, what, what in the world's going on? And then the Lord says, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you're going to have a son, and your son's going to be your heir. And then watch what God does in verse 5. So the Lord took Abram outside. So the Lord took Abram outside. If you want to take some notes, I got three things about covenant that I want to give you. The first one is this. I want to help answer this question, what does God want? It's a question that civilization really has asked for, for thousands and thousands. What does God want? What does he even want? Here's what God wants. God wants family. That's what God wants. And the covenant, point number one, covenant is about family. Covenant is about God's family. And here Abram, like typical humanity, Abram is only thinking in addition. Abram's just confused and frustrated. Can I just get one son? Abram's thinking in addition, but the whole time God makes this covenant with him, God's thinking in multiplication. I don't know how big you think, God's always thinking bigger than you. He's, He's thinking in multiplication. In fact, we see this to be the heart of God early on in civilization when he actually tells Adam and Eve in Genesis 1:28 when God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God's a God of multiplication. And so God speaks to Abram. Abram's willing to settle for one. And God's like, this is a lot bigger than one. God, you, you said some stuff about nations, God, and, but, but I don't even have one yet. You said some stuff about a great family. I don't even have one yet. See, I, I thought about this. Listen, if God always met your expectations, then he would never have the chance to exceed them. Abram's expecting one. God's like, it's a lot bigger than that, bro. I'm thinking much, much bigger than that. And so the Lord takes Abram outside in verse five. He takes him outside and he says to him, look up into the sky, count the stars if you can. If you can, that's how many descendants you'll have. God had to take him outside. He had to take him outside. He He was in the tent, but God had to take him outside. Why did he take Abram outside? Because he had to enlarge his perspective. Sometimes your problem seems so big because your perspective is so small. And so God said, you're thinking about one? Let let, let me bring you outside. Abram, I'm not thinking about one. Look up to the heavens. I'm thinking about all this. This is what I'm thinking about. You're so caught up on one individual heir, Abram. I'm thinking about an entire family. In fact, when you go back and literally look at the Hebrew language, what, what the, in the Hebrew language, what God's actually saying is he's saying a number that cannot be physically counted. That's what I'm thinking about, Abram. He's enlarging his perspective. Sometimes that's what God does when he gets a hold of our life. You have a great dream, and it might be a God dream. It might be a righteous dream, but there's a good chance God's dreaming bigger than you. All the time, every time, and that's a good thing. And when you lean into him and when you continue to yield your life to him, what you're going to find out is serving Jesus and and all that he wants to do in you and through you, it's much bigger than you could have ever imagined. That's what I believe for this church. That's what I believe. I'm thankful for a couple right here that's full of vision, but truth be told, it's much bigger. Like like God's going to continue to give pieces of the vision, and I know they're going to be faithful to follow it, but it's much bigger than any of this team could even think. What God wants to do in and through this local church in this great city, right? Sometimes our perspective needs to change. And when Abram went out 
outside is perspective. Like, like think about this. As long as he stood inside in the tent, all he could see was like the high chair that he made at the end of the table with no baby boy in it. As long as he stayed in his tent, all he could see was like the room that he added on the back of the tent for the baby, but yet there's no sun in it. And he's, and he's confused, so God says, let's go outside real quick. Help me, let, let, let me enlarge your thinking, right? And because God's a good, faithful, gracious God, he takes him outside. Abram wants a son, God wants a whole family. Abram wants an heir, God wants a nation. And then through that nation and seed, he will redeem and get back every other nation that has fallen away from him in the earth. This is the plan that God has. In fact, look at Galatians chapter 3. Where do we fit into all of this? How does this affect us? Look at this in Galatians 3. For you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 29. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Listen to every single beating heart in this room. Listen to me right now. In Jesus Christ, you are Abraham's seed. And where do we fit into this whole story? Here's where you fit. Because the same covenant that God made in Genesis chapter 15 to Abraham, the same covenant of blessing and protection and leading and guiding, the same covenant that he made him, when you surrender your life to Christ through faith, you are now a partaker in this great covenant. And the same God that led Abraham is the same God that comes to make covenant with you. This was not just about like, let me, let me get the, the Jews in the, in, the, in the Israelite camp. I, I want to be their God and I want to have a family with them. Abraham didn't even understand. Like in Abraham's maybe greatest imagination, maybe he thought, okay, God's going to create like a nation of people here and, and I'm going to just build a nation and then God's going to have some family. He in his wildest dreams never could have understood that Jesus Christ would be sent to earth one day and that you and I sitting in Chicago, Illinois in 2019 were all also going to have the opportunity to enter into the covenant family because of what happened in Genesis chapter 15. He like never could have known that. God's thinking much bigger than he ever was. And you and I get to partake in that. And so the same God that led Abraham gets to lead us. And the same God that delivered Abraham gets to deliver us. And the same God that gets to provide for Abraham in multiple situations, he provides for us. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, you're a part of the covenant family. You get to be a part of all the blessings and provision that come with this covenant. Abraham was only thinking about a son. God was thinking about you. God was thinking about those of us sitting in this room right now, even in Genesis chapter 15 when he made this. So the first one was God's about, or covenant's about God's family. Number two, the covenant is valuable and precious. It's valuable and precious. So the Lord told him, bring me a heifer, a, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, a pigeon. So Abraham, he presents all these things. He kills them. He cuts each animal down the middle. Now, what is this? What's going on here? This is the covenant making right here. Follow this. This is gonna blow some of your minds. This is the covenant making right here. All these sacrifices, he cuts each animal down the middle, right down the middle. He puts the carcasses to, to one side, right? The Bible says vultures swoop down to try to eat all these carcasses. Abram has to chase them away. There's something you need to understand about Old Testament covenants. Okay, this is where, this is where our generation doesn't understand covenant. In the Old Testament, in the original 
uh, use of covenants. What would happen is two parties would get together. They'd want to strike up an agreement, strike up a covenant with one another. There would always be blood sacrifice, right? Just like we see right here. And then what would happen is the two parties would walk through the carcasses as they struck into covenant with one another. Why, why do that? Because basically what they're saying is, let what has happened to these animals happen to me should I break this covenant. Like this is like hardcore stuff. Like these days, like we go to an altar and we give one another a ring. Okay, like that's a lot easier than like, let's cut up some animals and let's walk through it. Okay, like this is hardcore. Okay, and that's what they're saying. Let what, let what has happened to them happen to me should I break this covenant. And so God tells Abram, hey, do this. We're going to enter into a covenant. So they get the sacrifices. They get it all together. But then watch what happens. God, in, 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 the, in the fire pot, fire pot in the flame, the, the spirit of the Lord passes through the carcasses. But Abram does not pass through the carcasses. Well, why not, right? Aren't they making a covenant? No, no, no. Because basically what God is saying is, Abram, I'm going to make this covenant with you because here's what I know. Abraham, you have no chance of keeping this covenant. So, so don't, even, don't even pass through it. Don't even do the actual ritual that we know, covenant making. Like, Don't even do it. I'm not going to let you do it because you have no chance of keeping your word to me. Truth be told, I don't even need anything from you. God's not lacking. God didn't need anything from Abraham. So what God does in his goodness and his faithfulness is basically the Lord says, I will pass through and I will make this covenant with you. It's a unilateral covenant. So what God is saying is, I will be faithful to this covenant even when you are not. I will, I will be faithful to the very end. I will enter into this covenant with you even though I know that you and humanity will fail over and over and over again. But even in your failing, I will continue to be faithful to you. And I'll be faithful to this. And so the Lord enters into the covenant with Abraham, but he does it himself. The Bible tells us that he swears by himself because there is no name greater. And he swears by himself. And the Bible says, as we read right there, that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, can I break down this word belief? Because um, centuries ago, the Greeks messed us all up. Here's what I mean by that. In, in, in the Greek mindset, belief, this will help you as you talk to your unsaved friends and stuff like that. Like Belief in the Greek mindset, which we are all operating in for the most part, all of us in Western civilization, belief is only ever intellectual assent. Okay? If, like, if you intellectually agree with something up here, then it's like, I believe it, right? In the Hebrew mindset, it was much more than intellectual assent. Like it, for the Hebrews, you didn't believe it until you did it. There was, a, there was an obedience. There was a demonstration involved. So I'll ask you like this. Like how do you know, like, like how do you know I have faith? Like you can't like see my faith. You, you can't see it in my heart. Like you can't see. How do we know Abram had faith? How do we know that? Well, we know he had faith because he packed up all his stuff and he moved to a land that he knew not of, fully led by the Spirit of God. Like, that's how we know he had faith. There was an act of obedience. There was a demonstration involved. It is much more than just intellectual agreement. And so, so what we see in Scripture is we see the people that really believed in God and they lean into God. It's not just like, yeah, Lord, I totally believe you up here. We always see a demonstration involved. And what we've done in like modern day is we've created dumb dichotomies and really stupid conversations in the church. And like sometimes just church people want to debate over the dumbest stuff. And we've created really dumb dichotomies like, well, well is it faith or is it works? Which, which one is it? Are we saved by works or are we saved by faith? Like, I need to know. Like, that's a dumb dichotomy because both are valuable. 
Like, 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 like both serve a purpose. Like, yes, there's a faith in our, in our intellect, in our heart. Like, we, we agree like that. But, but there ought, ought be a demonstration of, yes, my life has been transformed. I'm now obedient in a new way to Jesus. I'm not saying, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're saved by works. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there is a demonstration that flows from our life outwardly when we're saved and we're in Christ, right? And so... So Abram believes, he's obedient, he demonstrates. But here's what you see in verse 11, watch this. Even on day one, the Bible says vultures come and they try to consume the, the covenant sacrifice that he's in the middle of. Here's what I wanted you to see. Even on day one, there came things that would wish to devour this covenant. There came things that would wish to destroy and devour this covenant. And Abram had to fight to hold on to this covenant. Listen to me, there's gonna be things in your life, the enemy for one, that are gonna to try to devour and eliminate the covenant that God is making with you and his family. Now, obviously, look, the enemy can't like devour and do away with the covenant. I mean, he's not that strong. Like the Lord makes the covenant. It's, it's binding, it's there, you know what I mean? But what he will do is he will do his best to try to sweep it away from your mind because if the enemy can allow you to forget that you are welcomed into the family of God, then he has you right where he wants you. And now you're vulnerable and you're isolated and you're in a dangerous spot because you're secluded from the family that you've been welcomed into. So if he can forget you to forget the covenant, do you, like hopefully you're seeing now how important the covenant is. And when we as a church don't understand the covenant, we're just making it so easy for the enemy to just allow us to not think about it. And, and now you don't even know that there's a family that you're welcomed into. You don't even know that the same promises that were afforded to Abram are afforded to you. Like we don't even know any of that because he swept the covenant away and he's devoured it right from our minds. That's why you gotta like, like fight for it. I mean, scripture even says later in the New Testament that faith is a fight. Faith is a fight because sometimes when the enemy comes and he wants to allow you to forget and he wants to wipe it away so that you totally forget all of these things that God has promised, in those moments, you gotta be a believer that fights and says, no, I remember what God did. I remember how good and how faithful he was to Abram. Even when Abram was having small thinking, God was even thinking bigger than him. And I'm gonna choose to trust that the same God that was there in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 15, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can take it to the bank that he's with me and I'm in his covenant family. There's gonna be things that wanna devour this covenant. Don't let them, fight for the covenant. Keep reminding yourself every single day when you wake up, you're invited into the family of God. I can enter into this covenant family. I can be a part of this covenant family. It's not just about family, but it's, it's precious, it's, it's valuable. And the last one, as the band gets ready maybe to, to come and we'll get ready to close. Number three, the covenant has a clause for comebacks. The covenant has a clause for comebacks. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. The Lord tells Abram that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They're gonna be slaves for 400 years. I'm gonna punish them, the Egyptians that enslave you. And in the end, you'll come away with great wealth. As for you, you'll die in peace. You'll be buried at a ripe old age. And watch what he says in verse 16. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. Your descendants will return here to this land. Right here in this portion of the covenant, um, God's reminding Abram of two things. He's, he's helping him out. He, like, number one, he's like, yo, dude, don't worry about yourself. Yeah, like, you're gonna live to a ripe old age. It's all good. I got you covered, man. Don't worry about yourself. Number two, don't worry about your kids. Your kids are gonna be taken care of. Now, God's, God's honest. He's like, 
through some disobedience and some rebellion, they're going to find themselves enslaved for, for 400 years. But, but I want to go ahead and let you know right now, even though I know that's coming, it's not going to be fun. They're not going to like it. That's a long time. 400 years, that's a long time, right? But, but what I promise you right now in this moment on day one, Abram, is that I will bring them back to this very land that I've promised you. Even on day one, God is writing a clause into the covenant that has comebacks. There's a clause for comebacks, even on the very beginning. Now, I thought about this. That portion of the covenant made me think of that story of the prodigal son. And even if like, you didn't really grow up in church, a lot of us like maybe you have heard about the prodigal son, right, who leaves his, his wealthy, affluent father, and he goes off. He asks for his inheritance. He goes away. I, I, I'm going to get out of daddy's house. I'm going to go live it on my own, right? Gets caught up into all sorts of mess, squanders all of his money, finds himself in a pig trough eating with pigs. And in that moment of like the lowest of the lows, he has this revelation like even the slaves and the servants in my dad's house got it better than this, right? Finally, he comes to his senses and he, He's going to go back home, and there's so much I don't have time. It's not like I can't preach the prodigal son. That's a whole different message. But, but here he is, and he's coming, he's coming home. And we see a lot of great things right there because typically what would happen in a scenario like this is the elders of the camp, when they would see such a rebellious individual that had left and shamed the entire village and the family and the name and the tribe, if that individual would ever try to come back, what the elders would do historically is they would walk out to the front of the road as they would see that individual coming from a far ways off and they would have clay pots in their hand and they would slam down these clay pots as a sign of you have disgraced us and you are no longer welcome to come back into this family. You're a disgrace. You've been rebellious and you've been far off. And so that, that's what the elders would do. The elders would break this as a symbol of you ain't coming back here. But in that story of the prodigal son, when Jesus tells it, what happens to the good father? Why, like, why did the father run? Why did the father run out to meet the son? The reason he ran is he's running to get ahead of the elders. He's running to get ahead. So, so before shame can be put on the one that's returning, the father pulls up his, his garment, which was shameful in that day and age. And so the father takes the shame as he runs ahead of the condemning elders to welcome back the son that was rebellious in the first place. Like, there's so much in that story, right? That has nothing to actually do with the message. What I really wanted to say. Why it, why it made me think, why the covenant made me think of this is because, watch this, every day that son was out being rebellious and wandering, living wicked and evil and messed up and jacked up, well, every day he was doing that, what the Bible tells us is that as he's coming back, the, the father says, go and get me the fattened calf. Go get, he tells the servants, go get the fattened calf. Now, I'm no farmer comes to a shock to many of you, right? I'm no farmer. I didn't grow up on a farm. I don't raise livestock, okay? Right? But I'm also not an idiot. And I know that fattened calves don't get fat on their own. So every day that son was out in rebellion, there was a dad at home in the barn feeding a calf, preparing for a comeback. He didn't know when, and he didn't know how it was going to happen. But every day, every day the sun is wandering. Every day the sun's out there thinking he's living awesome.
I ain't never going back to dad's house. Man, I hate dad's house. Dad's house, man, dad didn't, he didn't really care about me. He never let me be my own man. I'm never going back to dad's house. I'll, I'll never, ever, ever, every time he's maybe cursing his dad and talking bad about the family, there's a father at home in the barn feeding a calf, preparing for the comeback. The truth is, is that this comeback was not just going to be afforded to a nation that came out of Egypt, but the comeback was ultimately going to be afforded to even you and I today in 2019. And even if you're not serving Jesus, the hope for you right now is if you, you and your relationship with God, maybe it's been far off. Maybe it's been totally non-existent. Maybe you've wanted nothing to do with God. Maybe you thought religion was just, I don't know, you've had all these preconceived ideas about religion and whoa, they just want this or churches just want my money or blah, blah, blah. But here's what I want you to understand is that even when you wanted nothing to do with God, he's still the father that was in the barn feeding a calf preparing for your return and at any moment you want to come back into the covenant family of God you are welcome to come back and because he has already prepared for you there is a celebration that is waiting for you should you want to come back into the family there's always been a clause for comebacks there's always been a clause for comebacks but listen to me I wouldn't be a good pastor, Pastor JP. I mean, I know how he preaches. I've watched his messages. We wouldn't be good pastors if we didn't say the real thing. And the truthful real thing is this, is that if you are not in Christ through faith, you are not in the covenant family. And when you're not in the covenant family, you're isolated, you're vulnerable, and you're in danger. Just like that prodigal son. But should you want to place faith in Jesus, demonstrate that loyalty. Remember, it's not just intellectual agreement. There's a demonstration. That's like you know, water baptism. That's a demonstration. That's a public demonstration that I'm now with Jesus. I've chosen a side, right? There's all types of ways we demonstrate publicly. But if you want to come into the family and be a participant of this covenant, that has lasted the test of time through all generations, you can come in today because he's already prepared your comeback. And he's been waiting on you. You know, when I went to type in the word covenant in my, in my word document, you know, I probably got a letter or two wrong in there and it auto-corrected to convenient. And I thought, that's a word. That's a message right there. Because sometimes keeping our covenant isn't always convenient. It's not convenient all the time. Jesus keeping his covenant with us hasn't always been convenient. Like humanity isn't always like the easiest individuals to work with. We betray one another. We say we'll do things and then we don't follow through with what we're going to do. We make promises. We break them. Like it's not, it hasn't been easy for God, I'm sure, to keep his covenant with us. But yet he swore by himself, and there is no name higher. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, I place my word above my name. The word that I make, the promises, the covenants that I make, they're unbreakable. And the reason I called this message sometime later is because what we see right here is there was a covenant made a long, long time ago. And here we sit in 2019, and it's been some time later since Genesis 15, but the covenant 
and our God is still as faithful and still as true, it's still as good as it was then as it is sometime later. And so it'd be my privilege right now, maybe with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd love the opportunity to just pray with some people. If you can understand, if you can wrap your mind and get revelation about the covenant family of God, you'll you'll read the rest of your Bible differently. And, And you'll see that basically after Genesis chapter 15, as you read the entire rest of your Bible, all God is trying to do for the rest of the scriptures is get people back into the covenant family. That's why he sent Jesus to get people into the family. What does God want? What does he want? God wants family. And so right now, maybe, maybe you don't know if you're in the family. You can know before you leave today. So with no one looking around, as you examine your own life and where you and God are at, if you're like, man, today, maybe your heart's like beating really, really fast right now, there's a good chance that might be the Holy Spirit because the day is your day and God's speaking to you. And the reason you're here right now is not because of chance. Like, I believe that like you're not just here because like some friend was like, hey, you wanna go to brunch? And then they tricked you and they pulled into church, you know, and they like threw you a neutral grain bar. I don't know, like, but the reason you're here is because I believe God providentially wanted you to be in this building today because he's trying to get you back into the family. And so on the count of three, if you're like, man, I want to be in the family. I want, to, I, want to, I, want to, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time. Maybe some of you are just unsure where you're at, but today you're making the declaration and you want to demonstrate, I am the Lord's. I'm no longer neutral. I choose Jesus. I want to be in his family and I want to enter into this covenant with him. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to be bold enough to lift your hand in the air so I know who I'm going to be praying for. Ready? One, two, three. Put your hand up. Put it high. Hands are up in every section. Just keep it high. Keep it lifted for just a second. You want to be in the family. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. Why don't we all stand to our feet right now? Everyone, let's just stand up and I'm going to pray. I'm going to lead you in this prayer right now. And my prayers aren't magical. They're not any kind of special. I'm just going to lead it because some people might be praying this for the very first time. So why don't we just bow our heads and you're going to repeat this after me. Everyone say, Lord Jesus. This morning, I recognize my need for you, that you are who you say you are. I thank you for the covenant that you made in Genesis 15, that it's still good today. It's for me today. You want family. I want to be in your family. So I respond to you now. I give my life to you now. I recognize you as Lord and Savior, but also King that is coming again for your family. From this day on, I am yours and you are mine. I thank you for your sacrifice. You died for me. You rose again for me. You ascended and ruled for me. Jesus, I love you. God, we thank you. And Lord, Holy Spirit, right now, you're you're already, you respond to people right now. Those hands that were lifted, respond to people right now. The thing I love about salvation, it's not some 12-step program. It's not some, well, well, do I got to go to some class now? Do I got to do this and that? The Bible says in the book of Romans that when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, you could be saved. I'm here to tell you right now, the Holy Spirit is flooding your heart. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. And you are now being welcomed into the family of God.
and the same promises that he made an old man named Abraham in the book of Genesis, the first book of your Bible, those same promises are now afforded to you. The blessing of God, the protection that he brings, the favor on our life, not just this life, but an eternal life where we don't just get to go and be with him, but we get to rule with him. God, we love you. Lord, I just speak a blessing over this church. I thank you for the opportunity to come and study the word together this morning. God, I pray that you would strengthen every believer in here. God, strengthen our faith. Lord, knit us together as brothers and sisters. We are your family. God, where your family is, you command a blessing. Lord, we thank you that the best days of Oasis Church are in front of it, God. We celebrate just like we did this last Friday. We celebrate all that has happened in the past. Lord, that is so minuscule compared to the blessing and the promise providence and the open doors and the opportunity that lie ahead of us. God, I thank you for Pastor JP and Rachel. Lord, continue to put vision in their hearts. Lord, can, the, the, Lord, you know the cry of their heart. Lord, you see the things that they aspire to. You see the things that they desire. Lord, they're good things. They're righteous things. Lord, I pray that you would be with them. I pray that you would give them the desires that they have, Lord. All the things that they see and how the kingdom is going to be built in the city and how people are going to be reached. Lord, I just pray that you would anoint them in a new way, in a fresh way. God, I thank you for their son, Titus. Lord, what an awesome legacy to be raised in the house of the Lord. Lord, protect his life at an early age. I pray that he would know the saving grace of Jesus. And just as his mother and father have been obedient, the Lord, he's going to be a powerhouse in his generation. He's going to do amazing, supernatural things for the kingdom of God. Lord, what an awesome family. Lord, we bless them in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your church that you're building in this great city. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. God bless.